0: Amen and we do indeed pray that Jesus would open our eyes and so we come to his word asking him to do that in the gospel of Luke this morning starting in the 11th chapter in the 33rd verse and as you're able I invite you to stand for this reading. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar, but on the lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if it is not healthy, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, consider whether the light in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light with no part of it in darkness, it will be as full of light as when a lamp gives you light with its rays. The Gospel of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Are you uh, ever find yourself... Driving without your headlights on? Hard to see, right? Especially uh, in the dark of night. It's easy to forget when other lights are on around you, but when you're out in those remote places in New Mexico, you know pretty quickly what you've forgotten. Or maybe you have on occasion forgotten to turn off those high beams. You're so consumed with what you're doing that you forget about folks around you and you blind everyone else in your path. So the question that Jesus asks us as we uh, enter into his word this morning is, is your drive through life impaired because you aren't letting light in? Or conversely, are you so about You and what you think and what you believe that you're actually hindering others. It comes down to this morning, as this word pours over us, as this light shines upon us, how are we receiving this gospel? How is it that you have and are receiving this promise? So quickly, let's enter into the text in today's gospel where Jesus himself is giving us this metaphor for what it means to, in fact, do just that, receive the gospel. Commentators tell us that the metaphor that we have here in this text in the gospel of Luke today is complex and not easy to interpret, not easy even to translate. It's not easy because the Greek words coming at us are what linguists call chiastic. That just simply means they go in forward and reverse order. We hear this repetition of two Greek words in this forward and reverse order. First, holon, photion, the whole body is full of life. Then photion, holon, in reverse then. What does that mean in reverse? Completely lighted. And to explain this back and forth, we get this picture of a healthy eye, a healthy eye that receives or rejects this back and forth of God's light. The word healthy here has been used to translate many things in Greek and in the New Testament. Uh, it has sometimes meant generous as opposed to stingy, good as opposed to wicked. Sincere as opposed to ingenuine. How then shall we receive this light? Generous or stingy? Good or wicked? Sincere or ingenuine? The question for us, ultimately, and all commentators agree, is this. Can we see clearly and not obscure the reality of this gospel promise. I think it's an interesting metaphor in this chiastic back and forth of these Greek words that Jesus comes to us, that God comes to us in reverse order as well. Instead of bringing us life through triumph, he brings us life through his death. And that leads us this morning to consider as we come to the conclusion of this three-part series on what Christians believe, I want to invite you to turn on those headlights and not be blinded by the oncoming traffic of the world around us, but be fully lit and read by the word that comes, sometimes it seems as Jesus did on the cross, in reverse order. And so now today we come to this jewel of the church as it's sometimes called the symbol of our faith the confession of our faith in the apostles creed this third of the chief parts martin luther will tell us as we discover what the gospel is and revealed to us through the words of the creed we understand that the commandments that we studied a couple of weeks ago teach that we what we should do and i would add what we can't do. And then he goes on to write that the creed teaches us what in fact we have received from God. He'll put it succinctly like this. This is the Christian faith to know what you must do and what has been given to you. So what is it that Jesus is enlightening us by the creed for today? Well, the first is to know this. It's not just what Lutherans believe. This creed that has come to us and and confessed by the church for some 1,800 years now we know. It's hard to date exactly because it was preceded by the Roman creed, which was even older, and parts of which we see, uh, some commentators think, even in the scriptures. This Measuring stick of what it is that we actually believe as Christians uh, is something the church has used through the ages. So, if you're Roman Catholic today, you pray through the rosary and you're praying the creed. If you're Lutheran, you'll you'll study it and confess it and worship like we do, and as. Other churches do among us, not just Lutheran, but all kinds of traditions. You'll study it and dig in further in this little booklet. If you're Southern Baptist, you'll confess it as well. It's not my creed or your creed. It is our creed. It's the gift to the church. I was reading a book by Al Mohler this week about this creed, President of a Southern Baptist Seminary, former president of that convention. And he lets us know and reminds us that all Christians believe more than the creed confesses, but none less. All Christians believe more than the creed confesses, but none less. To illustrate my point and his point, let me say this. The English translation of the Bible contains around 750,000, depending on the translation, to about 770,000 words. The creed that we confess here, and you'll see printed in your bulletin and on the screen later, contains, including the amen, 111 words. Essential truths. So no, no doubt Christians all Christians believe more, but none of us believe less. These 12 phrases in the creed attributed to the 12 apostles, not written by them, but in their teaching and and born straight from the scriptures, organized in three articles about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three articles invite us to come to know who God is I'll put it this way it shows us a relationships revealed and received in reality we have a movement of God in this creed about who's we are and because of who he is And that movement comes from, and let's go backwards since we're in reverse order today, after all, and think about what it means that we get this creed in reality, in revelation and reception, and in relationship. I'll begin by talking about the way in which we receive this creed, this promise of God in reality. By the way, as we tackle this creed today, there's no way that I will be able to cover all 12 phrases, all three articles. My prayer is that you will continue doing that uh, at home. But as we encounter the truth, the promise that the light is being shown on us today, we find out that it happens, not in a vacuum, but in the reality of the world that we live in. So when we confess... I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We see God's handiwork in creation. Confirmed and affirmed, especially in these last hundred years of advancement in science, not less so, but more so give you an example, uh, where I used to live in Southern California, it was not too far from the mountain where the Hubble Telescope was first developed and built, and when Edwin Hubble looked through that lens and light shone through it, and he looked onto the night sky and realized that, yes, in fact, the universe is indeed expanding, scientists and and and. Big idea folk of the day who had once thought that the universe was eternal had to begin to recognize that, well, it seems if it's expanding, then at one time it was smaller, therefore it must have a beginning. If there's a beginning, then how was it? begun and we confess that that was begun by the almighty maker of heaven and earth not just the almighty but our father as we have learned this personal known God but as the evidence in science continues to examine this beautiful creation even ardent minds are being changed as God comes to us in the reality. Ardent minds, smart, philosophically, scientifically, intellectual minds like that of Antony Flew. He was known up until 2004 as one of the most preeminent uh, atheist minds in the world. Known as the atheist mind because it was his practice, even dating back to Uh, Christian apologist and writer C.S. Lewis, who he debated. And so for over 50 years, he would debate the existence of God. He was the hero of many of his worldview. He was on the short list, uh, but that short list in 2004 needed to be updated. Because in 2004, examining in particular Uh, the new findings of the relationship between DNA and RNA, he changed his worldview. He went from atheist to a general theism, really a deism. I now believe that the universe was brought into existence, he wrote, by an infinite intelligence. I believe that this universe's intricate laws manifest what scientists have called the mind of God. And so as he examined in detail this beautiful creation, his mind was changed. But his heart wasn't yet converted from deism to a a God who is active and at work in this world. He would need, and so do we, the full counsel of God in the Scriptures. And we need that full counsel as it's confessed in the Apostles' Creed to be revealed to us. And that too comes to us in reality. The Apostles' Creed even gives us little details as the Scripture does, as it reflects the Scriptures, things like phrases like Jesus who suffered under Pontius Pilate, this real leader and man in history. Well, up until several years ago, folks questioned whether or not Pontius Pilate was really a real dude. Did he actually exist? Did he live at the time that Jesus did? Was he actually the governor uh, of that providence for Rome at that time? Did Jesus really suffer under Pontius Pilate? And if he didn't, then maybe we can just throw out all of that gospel as non-historical. Well, turns out, once again, our faith is grounded in reality. Archaeologists found uh, this stone that you see before you, known as the Pilate Stone. I got to, with some of you, uh, visit this location and see this replica in Caesarea Maritime, where we discovered that, in fact, with this inscription and with the dating of its stone, yes, Pilate, Pontius Pilate, existed, was the governor at the time, at just the right time, when Jesus. Was there. Our confession of faith is given to us in reality. We see it in creation, but also in the full counsel of God, not just in creation, but in His revealed Word. And that revealed Word is confirmed in reality, even in the reality of our human existence. C.S. Lewis would call this third piece of reality the moral argument. It makes sense when you think of the third article of the Creed. Luther says that the Holy Spirit's office is to make us holy or to vivify it, which means to animate or make alive. This third article of the Creed of the Holy Spirit who leads us to confess and convicts us of our sin and leads us to repentance. It makes sense when we know the human condition, doesn't it? When the word that we studied in the Ten Commandments a couple weeks ago aren't just written in stone, they're written on our hearts. And we know through examining history that every major society would have these morals that were similar and bringing about conviction and truth. And if these transcendent right and wrong points exist and are valid, then they point to an intelligent God, a personal God who is with us. And so in these ways, our confession is based in reality. This evidence corroborates the witness of the word. And this word witnessed to us in reality comes to us to be received by the revelation of that word. A revelation that as we heard from Jesus today, whose light shines upon us to receive it. Are our eyes ready to receive it? We know that we live in a broken, imperfect world. And our lives as hard as we strive are imperfect. But there is something that is perfect and it's the light that Jesus shines and this light as you see in the screen before you does not cast a shadow now you and I holding up that lamp might cast a shadow but not the very light of God in it there is as scripture says no darkness at all and that's where we pick back up on Jesus's metaphor this morning that our private World that we live in, as dark as it may be, when the light of Christ shines on it, takes away every shadow and leads us to the truth of the gospel. Takes us to the truth of the gospel. God is willing to interrupt his privacy to fully reveal himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and as God reveals Himself fully to us, as that light shines and takes away every shadow, we discover that we can't be private either. Now, our private lives might be transformed, and that's a good thing, but it can't stay private. We can't. Hide this lamp. It's meant to shine its light everywhere. Tim Tennant, in a lecture he gave, and one of the many I listened to this last week on the Creed, talks about living in this revealed world, uh, living in this revealed world of the Creed with one another, as it says, with the communion of saints. And you and I he would one of the other authors would go on to say, are real familiar with the communion of sinners, right? But what does it mean to be in the communion of saints? To cheer one another on. When we get on this side of heaven, we are both saint and sinner. But as we live in the communion of saints, we cannot be private. We have to encourage one another and then share this good word, this beautiful light with the world around us. He tells the story of growing up with his older brother who would frequently, uh, maybe this happened to some of you, uh, put him in a headlock and hold him there until he would say, uncle. Now, I can relate. This was uh, like me and my brother growing up. I won't tell you which one of us was in the headlock, but it was a dominance move, right? Right? Until he'd say, uncle, we feel that same dominance move by our society today, holding us in a headlock until we say, okay, okay, we'll keep it private. We'll keep it within the walls of the church. But that's not what this light is meant to do. We are called to boldly shine this lamp of the gospel to the world around us. And so this revealed Word that's been revealed to us so that we would receive it, in reality, is meant to not be kept silent. Now, it's true that the perfection of this light that casts no shadow is sometimes marred by the shadow that you and I cast. We see in growing numbers, and Josh Packard describes it in his book, Church. Refugees, those who have been a part of the church and are just done. They're just done. They've been burnt and hurt and maybe for good reason they've stepped away on... The church in fact did not shine the light of Christ's love and truth and grace but did burn them. And as I lovingly suggest that maybe they might be right, they are also... Wrong because we are given only this church to live in its messy reality as the communion of saints to do what we confess, and that's to forgive one another. And when we do blow it, we have the opportunity for repentance and forgiveness. We need the creed. We need the scriptures to be our ruler to determine how we should live and not just be our own judge. Our faith can't live, as we confess, outside of the body of Christ. It's God's design that we would be with Him, with one another, and for the world. This provocative confession leads us this morning to confess our sin, forgive one another, and live in faith together. And God does all of this, friends. He does all of this work. He pours out this light before us today so that this relationship would be with Him. In other words, in reality... Revealed and received for relationship. We are introduced to a God in the Creed who has left behind his privacy and revealed to us who he really is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is God in three persons who lives in relationship. God exists in community. Theologians call that the perichoresis or perichoretic reality. Simply say, stated, it's just God living in relationship. No wonder you and I hunger for relationship made in the image of God. God who is in relationship, oh, we hunger for it too. And what God is revealing to us now is He is inviting us into That relationship. When we think about that interaction, I like uh, how that same scholar, Tim Tennant, points to Augustine. Well, Augustine writes, oops, I skipped it, skip ahead here. Augustine writes that the Holy Spirit is neither of the Father alone or the Son alone, but of both. And so, intimates to us mutual love wherewith the Father and the Son reciprocally love one another. God exists in love in community and therefore we hunger for the same. And what's absolutely stunning is that then He invites us and we heard this uh, last week as we were invited to pray our Father and we hear it again this week. He invites us into His community. We can keep feasting and praying through this creed and never be, never be done because this promise, this light that shines upon us is so immense, so real, so revelatory that we're invited to receive and then live with him in relationship. Beloved of God, this is the part I pray you get so clearly today. And as we hear in the scriptures in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I heard one preacher ask his congregation after reading that text and uh, this question that I'm going to ask you: What is the joy set before him? Is it the beauty of creation? No, he's he's done that. Is it truth and authority? No, he's given us his word. It comes forth from him, as we read in the Ten Commandments. Is it glory? No, God, as we saw on Mount Transfiguration, has that complete. Is it relationship and community? No, God exists in perfect relationship. So what is the joy set before him that would lead him to endure the cross and despise its shame? It's you. It's me. You are the joy set before him that would lead him to reveal himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that would come to this earth and die and suffer so that we could enter into that community with God and be in relationship with him. Not that we would be God, but that we would be with God. So you've been read by the Ten Commandments and you've come up short. You've inherited the full promise of God from the Abba Father and yet you squandered it. You've gotten your life out of order and placed other things before God. But you know who's not out of order? The light who doesn't cast any shadow at all. The God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And as another scholar, Helmut Thicket, reminds us, the parable of the prodigal son may perhaps be better understood as the parable of the waiting father, the one who is longing and waiting for you to receive this light that has been shine, shining through Christ through the ages, and it shines upon you now. You're invited to say, credo, creed, I believe, not individually. You don't get to pick what you believe. It's God's word that determines it. I know that's hard for us in uh, this age to say that I don't get to pick what I believe. No, God determines what the truth is. Just as our confirmants will confess not their words, but God's through the Apostles' Creed. But just because we don't Get to pick, it's even better news. God has chosen and picks us. The creed shows us a relationship revealed and received in reality. And that reality is the light that shines and cuts through the darkness. And in Him, there is no darkness at all. And so we are invited, friends, today to cling to the author and perfecter of our faith Reveal to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and confess and say together and before God, this I believe. Amen.